Welcome to episode 32 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my local co-host, Chris Lee. We're sadly not in Germany with Eddie, so we'd like to bring you into our lonely conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. What have you, uh, do anything cool this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I basically, uh, Went to Disneyland, hang out with family, um, and also worked on a couple customer stuff and basically just kind of pre-planning for future, uh, trying to figure out what my next uh, five-year plan is going to be. Um, you know, a year ago or two years ago, I kind of attained everything I wanted to do, which is change careers, get to where I am, blah, blah, blah. So now I'm kind of uh, next step for me trying to figure out what my next five years is going to be, you know, machines, position, skills I need to learn, things like that. So I've been working on that lately. Jeez, that is super deep. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to the um, another podcast, Made for Profit. Uh, they were, one of their episodes was about like, uh, where are you now? How do you pivot? Um, and, and sort of just coming to terms with what is it that you're good at? What are you, like, what do you want your business to be? Um, and I was loosely thinking about that, but clearly not to the same level you are. Um, for now, I'm like, I don't plan on changing jobs in the next couple of years. So um, I'm sure you've put a lot more thought into this than I have. Yeah. And I don't even know uh, if it's going to be a job change, but basically when I had a plan, I got there, you know, like I did, I knew exactly what I needed to do to get there. And I think having that plan and having the goals is what made me successful up until now right like to be able to get to do basically the career change was really hard so like i had to plan everything out and i think planning it out really helped put into perspective physically and emotionally what i needed to do so i wanted to do that for the next five years and kind of uh, make sure that i'm not losing any steam because i'm still terrified that i left the medical field to do this um because now we're kind of in the manufacturing we're more susceptible to economy and uh, without getting into too much, you know, whatever, um, we're due for recession. You know, whether that's coming soon or later, I don't know. But I mean, it's been like 11 years since the last one. And I don't I think that's a pretty I think they come every 10 years or so. But anyways, because I have this fear of no, we're, I'm no longer in a safe like industry because nursing is kind of safe. Right. It doesn't matter what the economy does, but manufacturing is kind of isn't. So if the economy turns for the worse. Uh, manufacturing gets hit a little bit, at least in my opinion. And because if people aren't buying, they're not building, it affects us. So um, I just wanted to make sure that I have a plan and kind of like a backup plan to supplement income just in case something kind of goes awry. And uh, I'm really worried about that. So uh, being able to plan out the next five years and detail like, okay, here's what I need to do in the next three months, two months, one month, six months, one year. And I can I can better hit those goals because I don't need to think about what I'm doing every day because I look up at my piece of paper and I go, that's what I'm doing. And I'm not going to stop until I get this one check mark off. And then I just, mm -hmm. I just go down this row. And then the next thing I know it's five years later and I've accomplished everything. So is this primarily just like, like practical goals or is there also something of like your personal happiness and satisfaction built into that, uh, that plan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the happiness thing is, is like a priority. Like it supersedes anything else because otherwise, why did I leave a really, great job to do this right so i've always keeping uh happiness and like being soul soul fulfilled i guess is a term to do what i love and i love this i love every second of what's been going on lately and i love being able to have these opportunities and options so um, as long as i love the thing that i'm doing uh then it doesn't matter where i 
it is, then I'm okay with wherever I end up because I know I'll be happy. Um, I, I've kind of had to reteach myself to step back and realize, you know, material stuff is not so important. Um, money's important to a degree um, and everything else is just kind of icing. So as long as I'm happy doing what I'm doing and I get to do other stuff, uh, I'm great. And that's all I want. You know, I, I, I finally realized I really love learning as long as I'm learning about stuff that I enjoy. So I've always sucked at school and now I'm doing really well because I'm really into what I'm learning. So that's awesome. I respect that. We actually both saw each other this past week, which is highly unusual. Um, but somehow work brought us together. We were both at West Tech in Long Beach. Um, I was there because Carbide 3D had a booth there. Um, I wasn't working the booth, but I sort of had uh, access to the show through that. And so I was sort of just poking around, looking at all the, the cool little tools, machines, um, processes that they were showing off there. Uh, what brought you to West Tech, Chris? So I actually had to go for work. Um, I was there, uh, I guess in the last podcast we talked about this, I got thrown into like the CMM and five axis programming department. And now one of my responsibilities for the CMM is we're looking to upgrade some of our equipment because we need to be able to, uh, basically measure, uh, mold vents that are two tenths deep and like five thou, ten thou wide. And our current CMM equipment can do it, but we weren't exactly confident of how accurate it was. And when it comes to silicone injection molds, you have to be on the dot for this kind of stuff. Like two tenths versus three tenths means you flash or you don't flash. And so we need to be able to measure like, hey, did we did we hit this correctly or not? Because otherwise, if there's something going wrong in the process, like the molding process, we won't be able to check off like what the issue might be. So I got sent to West Tech to basically figure out what equipment's out there, how much is it going to cost, what what do we really need and what do we don't need. So um, it was cool, like going there on official business, like it felt kind of nice because all these companies were paying attention to me, you know, like it wasn't <laughs> like, hey, I'm just some dude in my apartment. I'm a nurse, but I like, you know, they didn't like shrug me off, you know, but it was actually like they would drop everything and be like, oh, you want to, you, yeah, yeah, you, you would do most. And they was just like, give me the whole spiel. You know, I got some free yep. swag. I got a like weird uh, virtual reality thing. <laughs> you saw me carrying around with it. Um, so it was kind of cool, like being in their own official business and being taken seriously and getting to talk to everybody. Uh, and also like I brought a part, like I brought an actual mold insert and I had vents on it and I, I was like, show like prove it to me, you know, put it on your machine and make, and I was making them measure it right in front of me. And that was like the best thing I could have done because it was so cool to see their workflow because, you know, sometimes you go online and you, you look at a company, oh yeah, this machine can do that. And then you get it. And like the software is like trash or like the workflow is terrible. Yeah. Cause you know, at the show, they've already had it set up. So they just, they, they hit the button and it shows you exactly what they want. Yeah. You to see. And it's like so lame, you know, cause then when you get it, it's like, dude, this sucks. Like it, it, nothing works. The importing is <laughs> shitty or like whatever, but like being able to watch them struggle through this because it was a part they weren't familiar with. It was perfect because I still understand there's, there should be some allowance for some of this stuff because it's a learning curve, but you can also tell when software wasn't developed very good and you could see how slow some of their technology was. I won't name companies, but I could tell like this company, this stuff was way better than another company. 
uh, just by watching him kind of struggle through the autofocus to pick up the surfaces and like to measure them. And uh, because we don't have a really good machine to measure accurately in two tenths, I brought that part and I had the list of all the people I was checking out. And as they were measuring it, I was writing the number by their name. And then at the end of the day, I kind of looked and see how many people kind of grouped together. And there were three companies that kind of hit the mark like on point like the same number and then the other companies that i thought weren't very good were off by about 20 microns so it really gave me a good indication of who i think is probably a better fit for us um and then you know the next step is actually bringing them into our office and doing like a live demo in front of all their managers and the boss himself so they can kind of show them as well but i saw some really cool tech out there um, I'll, I'll keep it short, but one of them was, you know, they have your basic for those who aren't familiar, like, uh, CMM is, uh, one way to do it, but the other was VMM, which is like visual measuring. And they can take like two surfaces on different planes and they can focus on one surface, put a point, and then they can focus on the, on the surface that's lower and put another point and basically measure between point to point. And they, they claim to have accuracy within like 1.5 microns, which is pretty great. And that's like a contrast-based focusing system. And the other ones are called like multi-sensor uh, focusing machines where uh, they use like lasers and stuff to measure. So what they did, if you imagine like a vent going across, um, he drew a line over my vent going from one surface into the vent and then the other surface on the other side. And this laser, uh, it's like called a confocal laser. It basically shot this white beam, like a really bright white beam and it ran across the surface and basically immediately was able to pick up every single like valley and peak of that middle vent because we use lasers to make our vents. So it's not like a perfect surface. And it was able to pick that up really fast. You know, some of the other, the auto contrast based uh, measuring was kind of slow because depending on light, depending on focal range and, and part placement, it would it may be a little bit harder to pick up that area. But the laser was just like immediately instant. It was just like zoom and like done. And then it had this side profile and it turned into a graph and I could see how many microns this thing was that you could uh, select a bunch of points like in that bottom of the vent or the top surface. And you could tell it to show you the median, like the mean of all those points in the distance, or you could do the max and you can do the min, which is exactly what we're looking for. Um, and there was one other way where this company basically has some crazy like triple camera scanning. And it was even faster than the laser. It basically put the part down, hit OK, it scanned it, created a 3D image of my part that was scanned. Then we can turn it isometrically to look and then it could have a height map, uh, like a topography height map, or also they could do point system and it, it could take your profile and make it into a graph. So this is really cool to be able to see all this stuff and also watch them do it live uh, on a part that they didn't get to practice at. Um, and it was funny because there's some companies, as soon as I said two tenths, they said, Oh, we can't, we can't do that. You know, you got to go to these other guys. And I was like, okay, well, you know, thanks for not wasting my time. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a cool experience and I loved, uh, being out there to do that. I, I really wish we would have saw more, but you, you know, you and I, you met up with me afterwards and we got sidetracked because I didn't know how many people we would actually know in the industry there. And it was really nice to see people we've seen before that we met at Autodesk Fusion. Um, and it was nice that they remembered us and we got to talk and, and that kind of kept us from wandering the show floor a little bit. But I mean, how did you feel about, yeah, about all that? It, honestly, it felt like a bit of a reunion. Um, uh, the, the Daytron guys were there and like we've met like all of yeah. them now, or at least the ones that go to the show. Um, Autodesk, uh, there wasn't really anyone at the booth, but we did come across um, 
Angelo, Croatian yeah. sensation. And he was really cool to catch up with. Um, and uh, we we did spend more time than I care to admit at the Pocket NC booth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those guys are just really easy to talk to. And uh, Matt is like genuine, like it's, it's really easy to nerd out yeah. with him. Yeah, absolutely. And it was fun. Like I got to meet Matt and Carrie for the first time for Pocket and See. Um, and like you said, like Angelo was super cool. I mean, we sat there for like 30 minutes talking to him. And while you were talking to those other lathe guys, he and I got into like a deeper conversation about uh, the importance of education versus experience. Because I'm kind of going through this thing where should I go back to get my degree in mechanical engineering? Because I wanted to be able to stand proud in a room because sometimes I feel kind of like what is that called imposter syndrome like when I'm in a room with a bunch of people who are like trained to do this thing and I I feel still kind of weird about it but you know he he basically told me like experience kind of trumps a lot of the stuff unless for whatever reason specifically there's an area that needs a degree but otherwise I think you know he'd be like I would hire somebody with more experience in a heartbeat Um, and that kind of gave me a little bit better feeling about not having that degree in the area that, you know, I'm trying to work in. So uh, I've been asking a lot of people lately in the industry trying to get their opinion. And it seems like everyone, if anyone cares, it's the opinion of experience trumps all the, the education thing is okay for certain stuff, but it's not a necessity. All of them would like hire the guy who knows more or has done more than anyone else who just has a degree uh, in a heartbeat. So uh, based off of that, I kind of made my decision to let go of the trying to go back in, you know, two years and trying to scrounge a degree up and give up everything that I've worked for so far. So I'm just going to keep going the the path of working and and trying to learn in the career as I go. Um, So he was gracious enough to kind of talk to me about that, made me feel a lot better about uh, doing this choice and that's we're in the middle of west tech like in the hall and we're having this deep conversation about career paths and stuff so it was cool you know like stuff like that was was really amazing and uh, i do wish we got to see more machines because there's so many companies out there i've never heard of like remember that five axis um that was just sitting there as, oh yeah we, we didn't, didn't even we didn't yeah, recognize the brand. exactly <laughs> and like it was crazy you know like we only know the big boys but we there's so many companies out there and i i have a hard time believing that they're all terrible. I'm sure some of them are pretty great. So I feel like uh, you and I really need to go back and look at the vendor list and see, just start Googling some of these people. Maybe we can find, uh, you know, a cheaper and just as good solution for us when we want to jump up to the big boy machines. Um, but yeah, otherwise it was a great experience and looking forward to next year and IMTS now. I'm assuming that's going to be even crazier than West Tech. Mark that down in your calendar. It is, um, there there were like three wings like um but each wing was probably two or three times the size of what we were in um so yeah that that's going to be crazy for you and uh you will not be able to talk to everyone and that's going <laughs> to yeah. be okay um because you're not going to be able to afford 95 <laughs> percent of what's right, there right. but yeah the, these trade shows are are pretty cool and uh one of the things that I found kind of interesting was while you were having your heart to heart with Angelo, um, he he sort of just threw me at uh, two of the other guys who were um, from that company mm-hmm. we were at, and uh, he he talked me up and, and made me seem like kind of famous, <laughs> um, which completely unnecessary. <laughs> but um, they were asking me about like the kind of kind of projects I did, and um, I actually just started chatting with them, and I tried to to turn it around and like ask them like what kind of stuff they make 
Um, and if like they they get to play with any of these digital fabrication tools that they have, and they're like, oh no, like we only have like we don't even have a full time apps engineer, so like we can't make any of this stuff. And that that statement sort of just like it it hurt me inside <laughs> because we're in a fantastic like era where these tools are so cheap like you can pick up like a shape oko for a thousand bucks and you can you can practice the workflow you can model parts you can generate tool paths you can make your ideas a reality and these guys sell a much higher end machine but they don't have the practical hands-on experience with running a cnc and i thought it was a huge shame that like like they couldn't like just talk to another engineer there and be like, hey, can you show me how this works? Hey, I've got an idea. Can I make a part? Like, it seems like a huge missed opportunity. To yeah. Me. No, I didn't know that. That that does kind of suck. Um, yeah, they had a pretty cool lathe set up and everything, a gang tool lathe. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. That that bugs me too. You know, like, you, they have access to, like, really good stuff, but they can't make anything on it. That would kill me. Like, I, I would be on the internet Googling so hard, my keyboard would explode. Like, you know, it just... <laughs> I would figure it out, you know, because making that's the whole fun part of all this. It's not being able to program in G code. Like, you know, programming is the less fun part of it. The more fun is like, or the most fun of it is I can think of something, program it, and I can make it and I can hold it in my hand. And this thing didn't exist prior to me coming up with it. That feeling is what I like anxiously search for. And every time I do it, that feeling doesn't get any less like exciting. It's always exciting mm-hmm. each time. It's always fun. It's always new, you know, and that's something I've never had before in, in the other professions and the things that I've done. So, um, yeah, I feel for them, man. That, that must suck to have all the, the fun stuff and not be able to make anything on it. Yeah. I mean, um, at Carbide 3D, one of the things we're doing is uh, we sort of give our, our customer support team like homework assignments. It's like, hey, each week, just just make something, make a little part, uh, just anything to, to keep them like up to date and like refreshed on the process and so they the the girls in the room next to me just keep bugging me like hey can you give me like feeds and speeds for x y or z and i reluctantly just pull up my file and and find something to give them but i i think it's really good that we are sort of giving hands-on experience to like the people on the front line the people who are working the booth who are talking to our customers so i mean i think it's I think just making this technology accessible is a huge part. And I'd, I'd love to see like bigger companies sort of just do, do the same. Don't like, don't isolate people in like, Oh, you're sales. So you can only like just talk to customers, but you don't run the machine. Like that, that kind of partitioning is just, just not healthy. I yeah. Think. I, that's the one thing I hate about, you know, where I'm working. Cause everything is compartmentalized like that. Uh, CNC guys do CNC, CMM to CMM, sales to sales, uh, design to design. And it's like, oh, I want to do it all. Like, let me learn everything. Like, stop, like, boxing me into this one thing. Like, I have other skills. You know, like, I'm just, this is all me shouting in my brain, like, as I'm there every day trying to 
to get more. And so, and um, actually, you know, and I've been asking for it for so long. So I was really surprised when they actually let me do other stuff. Um, and now they're starting to open up on the idea because they, they see the benefit, like me being in a different department gets to see a whole different side of the workflow. And I was able to make improvements because of that. So last week, they actually sent me into the tech processing center, which is where we do the molding. And I actually set up a mold, like we put it on um, a crane, I loaded it inside, I was like bolting it, the platens into the machine and we were setting it up doing the knockouts i got to clean a barrel and a screw for the injection press like sitting there like cleaning the silicone and like and like that was i loved it like everyone's looking at me weird like why are you happy i'm like dude this is cool like i've never done this before and i want to do this and i want to be able to do everything in a company so that I get a really good idea of what it is that we do because maybe I can help with something. Uh, maybe something someone else, someone's been doing for so long, they don't have another perspective on it. Maybe I can come up with an idea that can help that, whether it's workflow or, you know, whatever, just anything to help, you know, like that's kind of like where I'm at. So um, it's been fun lately being able to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm really happy that they're, they're sort of uh, giving you just a little, little more of a taste of everything your company yeah, does yeah absolutely so hopefully it keeps up and you know we're i'll be golden i'll be able to learn a little bit of everything that'd be so cool yeah no that should be fantastic so i think that that pretty much wraps it up for west tech uh the only other like noteworthy thing i had was really not noteworthy at all it was just sort of my my first impression walking into west tech walking into the carbide 3d booth um, I was actually super anti-social. I, I walked straight into the booth. I didn't say hi to anyone. I, w- I made a beeline for the Nomad that was running the demo, and I hit pause because the first thing I noticed that, that was just really um, jarring was that there was a big ball of uh, acrylic or on the, the end of the end mill because they, um, they were just doing setup, and so they were uh, sort of just letting a program run really slowly. I think they had feed rate at like 30 percent and so it was just melting the acrylic and balling up so i just walked in i was like what the heck is going on and uh yeah that that was within the first five minutes of walking into west tech i just i shut down (laughs) the demo and was like hey just change the tool change like everything um and don't do feed rate override (laughs) um but i I do really kind of want to revamp the the demos we have because right now we're just milling like small sheets of plastic i want to try and come up with a like a, a 3d part or something that maybe maybe it's really easy to run or maybe it takes a long time and it's a complex part that you can just watch it go like maybe like a, a really small step over a parallel finishing toolpath on a 3d mm-hmm. contoured mm-hmm. surface um but i kind of i feel like we need to step up our game because our, our demo parts compared to everything else that people are doing it's a little underwhelming hmm. so i need to I need to work on that internally behind the scenes. I mean, that, uh, well, no, you didn't make an eagle. You made some kind of bird. I forgot what it was. Uh, it, it was the, a miniature model of the Maltese There you go. Falcon. That was pretty cool. Like, why not just set that up to run at the show? Do I trust people to <laughs> run a four-sided toolpath, though? I mean, I, I tried to make it as foolproof as possible. I had toolpads A, B, C, D, and I labeled each side of yeah. my stock. Um, but... I also like maybe I just have trust <laughs> issues, but I don't I don't want to leave it to the people running the demo to like rotate the stock, make sure it's sitting flat, make sure no chips got mm-hmm. under the stock, make sure the end is butted up against a hard stop, and um, yeah, uh, I, I have trust <laughs> issues. So 
maybe maybe something with the flip jig or or um even just a, a better part um that's just pure three axis one setup um because we do a lot of stuff that's just like 2d operations right. so we need some 3d because every now and then we do get a question oh does this do simultaneous three axis which come on bro <laughs> like Every machine does simultaneous right. three-axis nowadays, except for like a vinyl. Right, cutter. right. I, I'm sure we can come up with something. Um, I mean, to fix that issue of them, if if you have trust issues with them locating it properly, we just put uh, crossed out holes at the bottom of the thing and just put a little dowel pin or something that they can load into every time, so it's kind of stuck in that one position. Uh, we can come up with something. Like, I'm I'm sure that's not going to be too hard. Yeah. The other thing is like the the machine, like the computer that runs it, is often like. Uh, whichever one they grab out of mm-hmm. the office and because carbide motion all your work offsets are saved on the the machine the, the computer and not the cnc mm-hmm. um if like this computer was just on the shop floor running a, a nomad down there and you bring it to the show um i can't like set up everything for them and be like hey use this as your zero and do it oh. for them ahead of time um because when they just bring in a different laptop yeah all that information is gone yeah so i have to like really find a way to make this foolproof maybe like uh make them a fixture plate and hey and say like hey like zero off like dead center of the the table just duct tape the laptop to the side of the nomad then they have no (laughs) choice right like take this take this one proper vmc with a little uh uh interface maybe you should just label like laptop bay goes to machine a or something so they know to always pair up with that right that's not a bad idea simple and just tell everyone hey these things need to be paired up because otherwise it makes it really hard. Plus you can set it up for them before they go and make life easy for them. I, I do like this idea. I, I saw your recent knife video as well. Um, you're getting pretty close to being done, right? Uh, this The week that this episode comes out, I should have wrapped up the series. It's seven episodes. So this, this last episode, assuming it's out before this podcast goes live, is um, sharpening the knife and making a Kydex sheath nice. for it. Um, and then I'm going to release that. I'm also going to release um, a video on my channel, sort of just talking through like the the process of learning because that's something I couldn't really capture in the carbide series. That was I tried to keep it short and just talk about the the process itself, but I didn't get to touch on like hey like I binge watched like different channels or um, like at this phase in the project I was like really anxious about like doing the heat treatment mm-hmm. and. Um, or like really talk about like my motivations and, and the things I learned and uh, what I got out of it. Um, I, I sort of tie up the, the carbide series um, being like, hey, like I, I made this knife. Um, digital fabrication enabled me to do it. Um, and like all is great. Um, but I couldn't really, I, I didn't feel like I had enough time to really um, uh, just just really dive in express yeah. myself and be like like this was an awesome learning experience for these reasons and it actually is kind of inspiring to me um and it makes me respect the the knife makers i follow a lot more having gone through this process because i don't think anyone who's watching this to to sort of um figure out how to get from point a to point b is going to care about my my motivations and and what i feel like i got out of it but um, I do want to touch on that. So um, the the more more fluffy emotional stuff will be on my channel, and the 
the hard facts of these are the steps I went through to make a knife are going to be on the carbide channel. That's pretty cool. I look forward to seeing that then because I've always appreciate when people share more about the learning experience as opposed to just the process and stuff because process is very cool because you need to know how to do things, right? Like going from A, B, C, D, but it's nice to have that uh, behind the scenes like mentality stuff like you know, any tidbits or learning stuff or how did you approach this? Cause that helps me kind of, it's like, if you learn something and even though I wasn't there, if I can hear you talk about it, it's like, I learned that too. And then it goes into my memory bank and like my utility belt. And I can kind of remember like, Oh yeah, I remember talking to somebody and they approached it this way. Maybe I can approach that this way as well. So I love listening to people talk about that kind of stuff and hearing them, you know, go through that. Cause I get to like learn off of them in an indirect way. Uh, I'm glad it seems like the second video that i produce will be well received um yeah that that one is i'm a little more nervous about that one because i don't know how much people are going to care about um sort of like what inspired me and what i got out of it 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 sort of goes back to what you were doing like planning for the future um trying to place where you're going to be and it sort of touched on an existential crisis i have with my channel which is um a lot of the tutorial like boring um informational stuff is going on the carbide channel i don't know whether or not i want to do something similar to that like do like more advanced fusion tutorials on my channel or do i want to sort of address projects at a high level and and sort of just talk about my approach for it how i get into the mindset to tackle a problem um and and some of the not quite as um clear-cut uh black and white topics Mm. um so i I don't know if I want to become like a story-based channel or like a, a fact tutorial-based channel or, or somewhere in between. And so this, the knife video that I'm releasing on my channel is definitely not so much about the facts, but more about the story. So I'll find a, a good balance at some point, but it's it's something that is weighing on the on like in the back of my hmm. mind as to like is this indicative of like future videos that i produce or is this just because i already um like put all the other information on the carbide channel already so i don't need to do it on my channel well you know the great news is it's your channel and you can do whatever you want and i encourage you to do whatever you want and do whatever makes you happy and like if this is something different, you never know. You may really like this process more than you like doing the tutorial fact stuff. Or maybe doing this video will help you realize what you don't like about this. The thing I always tell people is you don't know if you like it or not until you've tried it. You know, and you don't know if you're going to like this or not until you put it out there and you see whether it's re- but, you know, whether it's received well or not, I don't think it matters. Just did you enjoy it? You know, and I think if you get satisfaction after posting it, that might help you kind of figure out where you want to do with your channel and kind of evolve it. Because I think YouTube channels always evolve. And that's a good thing because I'm a hard believer of adapt or die. You know, whether that's in business or anything else, it's like if you don't adapt, you die because you can't stay complacent in anything and um, expect to be successful for a long period of time so i encourage you just do it put it out there see how it goes and see if you like it if you do keep doing it if you don't change and do something else like that's the beauty of your youtube channel you're not being paid by sponsor you're not being you know told what to do and this is just something that's like been a passion adventure for you so just do whatever you want and give it a shot you never know yeah that is that's a good point because um at the end of the day i'm not like I'm kind of doing it for for the viewers, but I'm also doing this 
because I think it's therapeutic to, to just put this story out there. So you're right. I, I am going to do it no matter what. Um, I just I hope it's well received. Yeah, I'm sure it will. The, the internet is such a big chasm of people. Like there's always going to be an audience for the stuff that anybody does. And this is why this is what all YouTubers tell other people to become YouTubers. It's like there's going to be people out there just like you. you just need to find them. And like there's even if the people you currently have following you may not enjoy or receive this well, you may discover a whole new 10,000 people that do. And then they'll live together, you know, in, in this cohabitat of Winstonville. So just like you never know, like, you know what I mean? Like you just got to do it. And I, I think I think it'll work out fine. I think it'll be received well. This this kind of stuff is gold. Like even if people don't realize it, knowing how a person approaches a problem and solves it and thinks about things like it's super helpful. It's more helpful than, hey, step one, step two, step three, because that that stuff's like everywhere. But what isn't there is like, how did the person get to step three? you know, from being from step one and stuff. So I think it'll be great. Yeah, there there are just topics like um, when I was trying to research, like what kind of steel should I use? There were just a couple different choices. One of them really stuck out to me, but I was like, "Eh, I don't think I could actually pull off like an air quenching steel. Maybe I should use this. Maybe I should use that. That one has better corrosion resistance. And like I I got so tied up um, just like looking at specs and, and picking something out. It was like, it was decision paralysis. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think like you wouldn't talk about that in the course of a tutorial, but I think it's a really important thing to touch on because that's, that's how people work. And if you're trying to, to approach something new, these are challenges that you're going to face. And uh, like, have I'm sure you have come across something like this, right? Oh uh, yeah, I, I basically live in this world where anytime before I start a project, I'm researching for like 60, 70 hours, weeks, months, and I, I can't make a move until I know everything that I think that there is to know. I, I, we, I was calling it research paralysis, you know, like, do you go through the same thing or is it just me? Like, I don't, you remember when you were watching me like figure out what camera to buy? Like it was excruciating. Oh, yeah. That was, that was hilarious. <laughs> it was so excruciating for me. Like jumping back and forth, trying to make decisions because you want to make the best decision, right? It's a lot of money. So but I, I do this with everything. Like this lightsaber thing I'm doing, I haven't even started yet because I'm still researching. I want to make sure that I know everything that's out there and I want to see the best lightsabers that are being built and the worst lightsabers that are being built. And I'm also reaching out on Facebook and talking to people who own a lot of lightsabers and I'm asking them, what is it that you like about what's out there and what is it that you don't like? What is it that you wish you could see? And I'm trying to like interpolate all this information and then I can start designing it, which is ridiculous because it's been like a month and I haven't moved the muscle. Do you go through this at all? Or like, I don't know, is it just like me being OCD? Uh, I don't survey people to figure out uh, what I need to know. Um, But like, I I totally get where you're coming from. And uh, coming to terms with the fact that there is something technically better, but maybe you don't need to go to that extreme is... um, it's kind of painful for me to swallow, but I was at one at some point I had to be like, all right, this is not the the optimal quote unquote steel you can use, but it's going to work. I will have a usable end product, so I'm just gonna go with it. Mm. And I think there's for me, there was a lot of value in just um like just cutting off that that recursive loop of of self-doubt and research and and just taking that first step. Um, because you can't, you can't iterate on nothing. 
and having finally finished a knife, I feel so much better about um, uh, future permutations I want to do. Um, and I'll, I'm just so much better informed about that, that now the next time I need to decide what, what kind of steel is my next knife going to be, it's not going to be so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you're going to make a, a subpar lightsaber on your first attempt. You're just going to shoot for the stars. Um, but it, it might be worth just taking a couple design features you want, not putting all of them into a lightsaber and just going through a first rough prototype. <laughs> because um, you might like find out like oh when i try and put this thing together it's it's super complex i just made my life that much harder because i'm trying to integrate all these different things like maybe you should have like a like a quote-unquote high-end lightsaber that incorporates most features a simpler lightsaber like i i wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket and try and come up with like the diamond coated platinum <laughs> lightsaber like right off the bat right. you know what this maybe the the root of my problem is i don't like to make things twice and if i know i have to only because i'm lazy and i only want to make things once maybe i i'm doing this because i want to make the best thing that i can make and like i don't want to go back and revisit it later and try to update it or something like that the problem is like i i wanted to make the perfect knife for me and having gone through the process like part of what's going to be in my video is a laundry list of things that i want to change if hypothetically I were to make a second knife. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite like having a really sound design and CAD process, I feel like um, once I was holding it, I was like, Oh, like this grip's a little too boxy. This blade's a little too, too fat. Like there are just a lot of little things that you're not going to realize until you're actually holding it. You can work through a lot of the, like um, the manufacturability and like, how do you assemble it? Um, but there's just going to be little things that once you're holding the end product, you're going to start thinking, oh, I wish I could have just, just done that just a little bit differently. And yeah. I, I don't think that if you really enjoy this process that you won't make a second lightsaber. True, true. And you know what's funny is like even though I'm, I'm saying all this like I'm talking crap about it, I actually love doing this. Like surveying people I, to me is is the quintessential – like rainbow pot of gold, like being able to talk to people who who use this stuff and get feedback directly about what is it that they want to be better is usually a very key indicator for me to, I should focus design on like on those things because that's what's missing in the, in the current like landscape of whatever that product is. So like when I was doing the exhaust, like I was trying to, I basically talked to a bunch of people and also me myself, you know, I wanted a specific exhaust to do a specific thing. I wasn't able to buy it anywhere and here's what I had to do to get it done. So like, I don't know, that's kind of how I've always done things when it comes to product research. Um, it's probably a little bit more extreme than I need to be, um, especially because I don't really intend to sell this lightsaber. It's just kind of for me. So I get it. Like I, I should really just be making stuff right now, but I still love it. Like this stuff's still kind of fun to me, like learning about this. I feel so much more uh, at depth at like if someone were to come up to me and ask me about custom lightsaber stuff, I could tell them companies and people I've talked to and everything. I could basically regurgitate everything that I learned and dump it on them in 10 minutes and like get them going in, in the same fashion. So, um, yeah, no, but I totally see your point. You know, I should just get started because you and I have made a lot of projects and we know as you start going down the rabbit hole, stuff always pops up and like you need, you just got to get to that faster so that you can work around it and, and move on. Um, you can, you can only plan for so much, right? You can't see everything. 
And for me, at least, part of the enjoyment is about refining a process. The, the first time I make something, if it's something complex, as the, the CNC is going, I'll be going back to Fusion and I'll be like tweaking my, my tool paths, my feeds and speeds. And like, if I'm only making one of something, I never get to realize the, the benefits of that iterative process. So it's like, even though I have like the, the optimal uh, G code now, I'm not running it a second time. Mm. Like I don't get the satisfaction of like, Hey, I made this, this second one 20% faster. Right. Um, so, I mean, I just don't rule out making that second lightsaber. <laughs> right, right. Now, definitely, like, uh, if I enjoy it, I'll definitely do it again. Actually, you're kind of right. Like, some of the customer jobs that I've done where I had to repeat work, it was pretty satisfying to kick my feet up and ruin my program knowing it was already proofed out, you know, like, that I could trust it. And I was just basically watching it do whatever, what I've already seen it done with my improvements, like, for tool paths and for finishes and stuff, so... Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I got to just kind of let go a little bit and just kind of get in. But sometimes I think you need to do some research. You can't just not do any because then I don't think your end result is going to be as good. But also no need to overdo it like what I'm doing currently because it's it's research paralysis. You're not you're not getting anything done. Yeah, I mean, you might you might feel good about the fact that you're just amassing more stuff in your head, but it's not progress. Right, right, right. Totally. Uh, and I saw that you were also making uh, the like a the kiddie pool, the coolant pool. I'm assuming. So, I, I haven't shown it yet on Instagram, but I screwed up the second UHMW coolant kiddie pool I was trying to make. Um, I I was roughing out the middle. Uh, we're trying to make a about a six by six inch, inch inch, uh, a one inch deep cavity in UHMW and I was just plowing through it with a really aggressive adaptive toolpath and just so much plastic was thrown out and this stuff is staticky. It sticks to everything. <laughs> so enough of it got stuck under my V wheels that I lost steps and I started drifting to the right oh. until eventually it blew through one of the walls. So that was a uh, prototype number two, which had to be scrapped, <laughs> uh, but it only got through two step downs and each one was about a quarter inch deep. So I've got about a half inch layer of solid UHMW underneath this. So I can still use that stock for something else. Um, it just has to be thinner. I might make a tool holder out of it or something. Mm, okay. Um, so it's not a complete loss. And I have some, I know those speeds and feeds work. I just know I need to keep the machine clean. Um, I, once I get a dust boot on it, it'll be all better. Um, but I, I'm switching gears. I'm not doing the coolant kiddie pool until we eventually make an aluminum one. Right. Um, I'm making just a little a chip containment system. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a plate that I cut four slots in that I stick some HDPE sheets in to form walls. Because the next uh, sort of material that I'm going to try and explore is uh, sterling silver. Nice. Because there is a... a, a number of uh, people in the jewelry world or just people who make like small trinkets that want to machine slightly more exotic metals and that's the kind of thing where you like the stuff you're machining away is worth money so <laughs> right right you, you kind of want to keep all those <laughs> chips and maybe remelt them at a future date so yeah worth spending 10 minutes going in your machine enclosure and picking up all that silver and yeah. gold and stuff yeah but i'd also rather not have to like lift up the machine and like like brush up everything under there because there's going to be like aluminum contamination <laughs> or if it touches the rails it picks up a little oil so i'm just going to try and keep all of that contained on top of my table 
and uh, uh, just prevent any future problems um, by containing everything really close to where it's being cut. Okay. Yeah, I'll get... Um, if you need me to finish that kiddie pool in aluminum, just tell me a date. Like, once I have a deadline, I'll usually get it done. There, I've got so many things I could do um, instead of that that it's it's not a huge priority. I mean, I think it's it'd be cool for us um, just to be able to, like, immerse titanium and in, in coolant, but it's not a high priority. I've got plenty of other things I could work on in the meantime. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, then... It'll just take me a day on the Haas. Probably I can bang two of them out for us or three if Eddie wants one. And just let me know when you're getting close to like a uh, project date you need it for. And then, yeah, uh, probably after I finish silver and um, this, this thing sheet stuff like the silver, um, copper, there's another property that I want to explore, which is the, um, the temper of the material. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause a lot of jewelry people, they buy stuff that's uh quote unquote, dead soft i think so it's fully annealed it's you can like form it around a a mandrel with a hammer or uh, shape it or draw it into wire and like that's a lot of the kind of metal they work with Um, but it's not good for machining because it's too uh, too soft too gummy so i actually in addition to machining uh, silver that's in a more hardened condition i also want to contrast that with uh, some of the softer silver so it's not just like speeds and feeds for how it should normally go, but also I want to show people like this is what it looks like when you're using something suboptimal or when when things go wrong. And like if it sounds like this, you're about to break a cutter, you probably shouldn't use this material. Right. And I think you had that experience with uh, <laughs> aluminum that wasn't T6. Oh, yeah. Don't remind me. That was so stressful. It, it made me doubt everything I knew about being a machinist because I was like, why aren't any of my proven feeded speeds working? And I realized, God damn it, the 7075 I got wasn't heat treated. And I didn't figure that out until um, I had a piece of heat treated 7075 and you did like the hit test where you take two corners and you smack them together and whoever has a dent is the softer one. And when I did it, boom, it was the one that I was having issues with was the softer one. And then when I put the heat treated 7075, it was back to knowing what I was doing again. So yeah, it was super frustrating, especially me not even thinking that that was a possibility was a uh, pretty embarrassing and annoying to me well i mean most people aren't going to realize this until they they have an experience like that so hopefully (laughs) um if i can show them some of the pitfalls of using bad material um that'll help them out going forward right right the did you share anything about um you know how you showed me that picture of you milling graphite with super tiny and mini end mills did you ever share that uh, not yet. Um, just because I don't think that's a complete enough video yet. It, it's cool, but I also want to like hit graphite with a larger end mill, something you you could actually do something useful with. So like an eighth inch or a sixteenth inch. Um, sort of to go with the the silver, I want to try and make like just a little mold to to cast little ingots. Um, so whatever chips and scrap I have, I can just remelt and and pour it into that. Hmm. Um, so the a lot of these these future project ideas sort of go hand in hand um and i was the reason i did that text um test that was like super tiny uh 50 thou tall was because we had someone ask if you could machine um edm electrodes on it for sinker edm Mm -hmm. and they wanted to put text into something into steel so um i they were like how small can you make it i was like well let me let me go to uh, Kodiak and buy some some really tiny end mills, and I'll let you know. <laughs> and 
turns out you can make some really, really small features. Um, like, smaller than what you would think um, on paper, like, based on the specs of the Nomad, I think. Because, like, the the curves in the letters, like, there's a letter S, and it still looked uh, like a smooth, continuous curve. It wasn't, like, like really, like, three or four line segments. Mm-hmm. Um, so the resolution I was actually pretty impressed with. Um, but the graphite itself is not a complete project or a, a material Monday worthy video just yet. Um, I need to actually cut something at a useful scale out of that. And then I'll publish some speeds and feeds. I also need to step up my, uh, my chip, uh, dust collection basically. Cause yeah. I, I really don't want conductive dust floating around in the enclosure. Yeah. That, that's basically going to ruin everything up in the electronics stuff, but graphite, fortunately machines pretty much like a dream. I think the equivalent is like uh, welders when they talk about how easy titanium is to weld. It's like just amazing. And I, I'm not surprised that you were able to get such small emails to perform pretty well, uh, even on the nomad and stuff. I look pretty great. And hold that level of detail. Like I was impressed. Like these letters are, are 50 thou tall, uh, 10 thou deep and like i didn't use like a bold text it was just regular like uh, line width so like the the t and the s are all like really thin and they're not chipping out this stuff holds um like features like as well as wrench shape probably even finer than that so it's a really fun material yeah that's super cool so uh what about you you have anything else coming up uh no just trying to like get through my queue and work on the side projects that i've already talked about um just kind of planning for the future um you know and i'm kind of like house shopping right now and it's weird because i'm literally only looking at the garage part of the house i don't really even (laughs) care what i'm going to be living in because i just want a two-car garage that i can put an industrial cnc in so it's kind of a you know, my fiance is trying to keep me in check right now because I would buy literally anything that I could fit stuff into. And just kind of kind of reel me back and, hey, we need to make sure that this place that we're living in also is good. So um, we're spending a lot of time on that lately. So that's been keeping me busy as well because house shopping in L.A. is no easy task. Yeah, yeah. You should uh, get a place where you can potentially cut a hole above the garage door in case you need to get a really tall spindle through there. <laughs> Hey, I'm totally down. Uh, we just, it gets a little bit harder when, you know, you got, you got a little wife attached to everything. So we're, we're, we're a team now. We got to make sure everything gets approved. <laughs> uh, well, um, I think we're at about 50 minutes. I think that's a pretty healthy episode, Chris. Uh, you got anything else you want to add? No, I think we kind of talked about everything we wanted to. Um, hopefully people find it interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I enjoyed this chat with you. I hope other people do too. So, uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure and uh, have a good one. Okay. See you on the next episode. Yeah, man. Have a good one. We'll talk later.